0: Good morning, church. This is working. Um, The scripture reading is from the second book of Samuel, and we start with chapters 3, verses 20 to 29. When Abner came with 20 men to David at Hebron, David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. And Abner said to David, I will arise and go, and will gather all Israel to my Lord the King, that they may make a covenant with you, that you may reign over all that your heart desires so david sent abner away and he went in peace just then the servants of david arrived with joab from a raid bringing much spoil with them but abner was not with david at hebron for he had sent him away and he had gone in peace when joab and all the army that was with him came it was told to joab Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king, and he has let him go, and he has gone in peace. Then Joab went to the king and said, What have you done? Behold, Abner came to you. Why is it that you have sent him away, so that he is gone? You know that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, and to know you're going out and you're coming in, and to know all that you're doing. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back from the cistern of Syrah. But David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate to speak with him privately. And there he struck him in the stomach, so that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. Afterward, when David heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are forever guiltless before the Lord for the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. May it fall upon the head of Joab, and upon all his father's house. And may the house of Joab never be without one who has a discharge, who is leprous, who holds a spindle, who falls by the sword, or who lacks bread. We continue in the second book of Samuel, chapter 10, verses 6 to 14. When the Ammonites saw that they had become a stench to David, the Ammonites sent and hired the Syrians of Bethrehob and the Syrians of Zobar, 20,000 foot soldiers, and the king of Markah with a 1,000 men, and the men of Tob, 12,000 men. And when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the host of the mighty men. And the Ammonites came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and of Rehob and the men of Tob and Markah were by themselves in the open country. When Job saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel, and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good courage, and let us be courageous for our people, and for the cities of our God." and may the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to battle against the Syrians, and they fled before him. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. And then the second book of Samuel, chapter 19, verses 1 to 8. It was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people. For the people heard that day, the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day, as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son, Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, you have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you've made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you. For today I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out and speak kindly to your servants For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from your youth until now. Then the king arose and took his seat in the gate. And the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king.
1: Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Ben, for that reading. All right. So, we are currently, like we mentioned, in the middle of a series looking at relationships. And we're doing this by looking at different relationships from the life of King David in the Bible and seeing what we can learn from these different relationships. And with a lot of the relationships that we've looked at so far, it's sort of easy for a lot of them to put fairly black and white labels on them. The way David David treats Saul, it's good. It's honorable. The way that Saul treats David is bad. The way that Jonathan and David treat each other is good and honorable. David's relationship with Michal, it's got red flags from the start and those are never dealt with. And so the relationship just falls apart. The way that David treats Uriah, it's evil. It's easy to put black and white labels on those relationships. But if you think about most of your relationships in life, my guess is most of your relationships in life aren't so easy to just give black and white labels to. They're a bit more complicated. There's a bit more good and bad scattered in together with one another so that it's a mix. There's, There's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad. Maybe there's someone you have a good relationship with but then they betray your trust, which is bad. And then you reconcile, which is good, but time goes by and more hurt happens. And there's these cycles of ups and downs. And after enough time together and enough goods and bads that you've gone through together, it can be really hard to put a label on it saying this relationship is purely good or this relationship is purely bad. Sometimes relationships are just complicated. And if there's anyone in the Bible who has a complicated relationship with King David, It's this guy, Joab, that we were just reading about. Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you have heard of Joab before? Not many of us. Okay. Joab isn't as popular in the stories that we hear about David in Sunday school and the ones that get talked about, but he is one of the most central characters in the Bible's retelling of David's life. Like if you you think about key characters from David's life, maybe you think of some of his wives like Bathsheba or Abigail or Michal. Those three women combined are mentioned 42 times in the story of David's life. Nathan, the prophet we looked at last week who had these big interactions with David, he is mentioned less than 40 times. Jonathan, David's best friend, his best friend, best buddy, he is mentioned a hundred times, but only 69 times after David comes on the scene. A lot of those are mentioned before David is around. But Joab, he is mentioned 147 times, far more than a lot of these people. In fact, in the book of 2 Samuel, which tells of David's reign as king, the only people who are mentioned more often than Joab are David himself and David's son Absalom, who we're going to look at next week. Joab is a far bigger character than almost anyone else in the story of David in the Bible. And I need a drink quick. Sorry, I'm getting over a cold. There's a good reason that Joab and David are so close. They're related. Joab is David's nephew. And Joab is also the commander of David's army throughout his reign as king. And so when they're on the battlefield, David trusts Joab completely. Sometimes he'll even send him off to fight battles while David stays at home, which causes some issues as we saw a couple weeks ago. But Joab, he is a brave and fierce warrior. He is a trusted advisor to David. And yet despite all the good in their relationship, there's a lot of bad too so as David is trying to form a political alliance with this general who used to fight against them, Joab just comes up and kills the man in cold blood. And it totally gets in the way of David and his plans and the good of the nation. And the crazy thing is Joab doesn't just do that once. He does it twice. We read one of them in the scripture reading. We skipped the other because it's just so similar to the first one. It happens again. And as if all of this wasn't bad enough, you know, he, he's a guy who takes vengeance. He's a guy who murders in cold blood as if that wasn't bad enough. At the end of David's life, Joab is part of a plot to put David's son, Adonijah on the throne, which doesn't sound too bad until you realize one, David was still alive when this happened. And two, Adonijah wasn't the son that David wanted on the throne. So there's a lot of good in their relationship. There's a whole lot of bad in their relationship too. And so in the end, Is their relationship good because of all the ways they help one another? Is it bad because of all the ways they hurt one another and betray one another? Maybe instead of giving it a black and white label, it's best to just say, it's complicated. Like so many of our relationships in life, they're complicated. And so since so many of our relationships are complicated, like this, there's a lot that we have to learn from their relationship. And so today, as we look at their relationship, we're going to see that God equips us to face complicated relationships with skill and integrity. And we're going to look at a few different skills that can help us learn to deal with these relationships well. And then we're going to look at the power for that transformation. So we're going to see a proper perspective, appearances versus reality, responding to complications and complicated relationships and us. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and that it shows us the reality of life in our world. That it's not always black and white, easy to classify as good or bad, but sometimes things are just complicated. And we pray that you'd be speaking to us right now, helping us to see how to handle relationships with wisdom and skill by looking at the example of David and Joab. And in Jesus' name, amen. So first up, we have a proper perspective. The first thing we need to gain if we're going to approach complicated relationships properly is a proper perspective on this. I have a question for you. What is your greatest strength? What is your greatest strength? I'll give you a minute to think about it. Maybe you're like, I have different greatest strengths in different areas. That's okay. Maybe you have a different great strength that you bring to your office than you bring to your home. You can think of different answers for different contexts. At the office, what's your greatest strength? Are you the most patient teacher in the school? Are you the rainmaker for your company who just brings in all the top clients and makes lots of money? Are you the really efficient one, the one who's able to get everything done so fast and so well and everyone else is like, how do they do it? What is, maybe it's something else, what is your greatest strength at work? And at home, what's your greatest strength? Are you the caring one who makes everyone else feel so loved? Are you the clean one who makes sure that your house is tidy and organized so that people's lives can keep functioning smoothly? Are you the stabilizer who calms everyone down when everyone's starting to lose it a little bit? Is it something else? Does everyone know what your greatest strength is? All right, so there's a, there's a reason I'm asking you this question. At one of my old jobs, we had someone come in one time and lead a staff development training. And he asked each of us what our greatest strength in ministry is. And each of us thought about it. Each of us gave our answers. And after we had given our answers, this man said, your greatest strength is almost always your greatest weakness. Your greatest strength is almost always your greatest weakness. So in a ministry context, maybe you're someone who's like, my greatest strength is I have a deep and precise understanding of theology and the Bible. That's your greatest strength. That's awesome. But it's also gonna be your greatest weakness because you're gonna tend to be harsh and judgmental with people who disagree with you or who maybe know less than you. If your greatest strength is organization and administration, that's an awesome strength to have. We need people like you in the world, but you also have to be aware that's probably gonna be your greatest weakness because when you have to deal with people who are disorganized or people who say they're gonna do something and then don't do it, you're gonna tend to be quite short and impatient with those people. Your greatest strength is often your greatest weakness. Now, why do I bring this up? in a series or a sermon on David and Joab, it's because this reality holds true in their relationship. What is Joab's greatest strength? What is it about Joab that makes David trust him completely? It's that Joab is a fierce and fearless warrior right? We didn't read this today, but when David wants to take over the city of Jerusalem and it's got these amazing defenses, it looks like an impossible city to take. Who leads the strike team that captures it? Joab. The man is fearless. When Joab, he's, we read this one, he's surrounded by enemies on the battlefield. The odds are stacked against him. He's outnumbered. What does he do? He stays calm. He makes a plan. He gives his soldiers a speech about how they just need to stay strong and courageous and trust in God. And he fights back the enemy until they run. David as the king, he needs a man that he knows is a fierce and fearless warrior to lead his army. And Joab is that man. That is his greatest strength. He is a fierce and fearless warrior, but his greatest strength is also his greatest weakness. As a fierce and fearless warrior, he is an incredibly violent man whose tendency is to solve problems with violence, which when you're at war, that can be an incredible strength. But if you can't turn that off during peacetime, that turns into a terrible weakness. And like we said, on two separate occasions, Joab kills generals that he previously fought against on the battlefield, but now it's peacetime and David's trying to form alliances with them. And in both cases, Joab comes up and he kills these men in cold blood, despite the fact that David's trying to work with them to unite the kingdom under his rule. Joab murdering these men, it totally messes up David's plans. His greatest strength, a lack of hesitation to kill in battle becomes his greatest weakness. This tendency to turn to violence in order to serve all his problems. Sorry, solve all his problems. And that's true, not just personally that that's his greatest weakness, but in his relationship with David, the thing that makes David trust him the most is the thing that causes the most trouble in their relationship. It leads to his greatest accomplishments for David, but it also leads to his greatest betrayals of David. And this reality from David and Joab's relationship, that our greatest strength is often our greatest weakness, is a reality in our relationships as well. And it's one that if we're going to navigate complicated relationships with wisdom and skill, we need to recognize that. You know, maybe you have a friend and your favorite thing about them is that they are so emotionally aware, so empathetic. When you're going through a hard time, they just listen and understand and you feel so loved and it's great. That's their greatest strength. But then you realize them being so emotionally aware actually gives them a little bit of power to manipulate you and get you to do things they want. And that, just bothers you and their greatest strength all of a sudden becomes their greatest weakness and the greatest source of conflict in the relationship. Or maybe in your office at work, there is someone who you work with every day and you know they are an asset to the team because they are so quick and efficient at what they do. And you're like, how would our team operate without this person? But their speed and efficiency causes the greatest problems for your team too. Because anytime this person gets slowed down by other people who aren't quite as fast as them, they just lash out at the slow pokes. This is a reality, not just for David and Joab, but for us today, your greatest strength will tend to be your greatest weakness. It makes David and Joab's relationship complicated, but it also makes our relationships complicated. And one of the first steps to learning how to respond well is simply recognizing that this dynamic is there and that it's operating in the relationship and making things complicated. But that's not the only dynamic that makes relationships complicated. The next one that we're gonna look at is the gap between appearances and reality. Like we already said, Joab, he is a fierce warrior. That's a fact that everyone can observe. Right? He has no hesitation, rushing into battle, fighting against the enemy. It doesn't matter how strongly the odds are stacked against him. He's rushing in there. And it's not just in battle. He is a bold person. He has no hesitation going up to King David and telling him, what you're doing is wrong. You need to fix it. So we looked at the passage where David's son Absalom has just led a rebellion against David, tried to take over the kingdom, started a civil war. They had to fight back against him and Absalom gets killed in the battle by Joab. And now David is distraught because his son is dead and he is just crying. He's sad that his battle got won and his life was saved. It's a weird situation. And Joab recognizes what's going on He comes in and he tells David, hey, your people fought a great battle today. They saved your life. They saved your family's life. And you're treating them like they're criminals because your son died in the process. But he was actually the bad guy here. You better get up and show them your appreciation or they're all going to leave you tonight. Now, can you imagine going into someone who's grieving the loss of their child and telling them that? especially if it's a king who has a reputation as being a bit of a hothead at times. Joab is like risking his life by going in to have this conversation. But he does it. He's a bold guy. We saw in the battle where his army was surrounded, he was also vocal about his faith. He he said, you know, let's fight for God. Let's let's stand up and, and fight for him and he's gonna do what's right. Now think about this. If you're watching a movie and the main character of the movie, he's this fierce warrior who fights for good. He's able to stand up boldly to those in authority over him. He's confident in his faith. What would you think of this guy? What labels would you use to describe him? Maybe he's a hero. Maybe we'd say he's strong. We'd probably describe him as brave. Those are the external appearances that we can all see. And yet in Joab's case, and for many people, these external strengths that anyone can see actually serve to hide deep insecurities inside of him. There's a gap between the person he appears to be on the outside and the true person he is on the inside. So think back to the situation with Abner, the first general that Joab murders. Now there's bad blood between them. Abner has killed Joab's younger brother in battle. Joab wants revenge. But there's probably more to the murder than just that. Right? Abner has spent his career as Saul's military commander. Joab has spent a lot of his career up to this point as one of David's right-hand men but he has nowhere near the military experience that Abner has. He lacks the political connections with the rest of Israel that Abner would bring with him. Now imagine that you are in David's position. You are trying to unite the entire country. You have one little section that supports you and the rest has not supported you ever. You need them to come and support you. So you need someone who can make political alliances that will bring the previous king's supporters to you. You need a military commander who has experience leading armies, who understands the, how it works going to war with foreign armies, who can advise you as you step into this role of king and you're learning on the go. Who do you want as your top guy leading your army? Do you want Abner, the old guy's number one commander, who has a lifetime experience and can bring you all these great alliances? Or do you want Joab, your cousin, who's ruthless, who stood by you through tough times, but who's inexperienced in this role and has zero political connections that you don't already have yourself? It's a no-brainer. You want Abner leading your army. So Joab killing Abner, it's not just getting revenge for his brother's death. There's a lot of that there. But there's also a lot of insecurity and fear that this guy's gonna take my place. If he's part of the picture now, I'm not going to be the top guy in the army. I need to take him out so that I can keep my power. And as if that wasn't enough, we see the same insecurity again, when he murders a guy named Amasa. <clears throat> so David's son, Abner or Absalom has just led this rebellion against David started a civil war. He got the nation to recognize him as King instead of David. He raised up an army to chase down and kill David and the leader of Absalom's army, was Joab's cousin, a man named Amasa. And so Joab leads David's army to fight against Amasa and Absalom's army. And Joab kills Absalom in battle, despite the fact that David said, keep him alive. So David, once again, has to regain the support of the nation because they've just rebelled against him. And now he needs to reestablish himself as their king. And he's upset with Joab for disobeying his orders and killing his son. So what does David do? How is he gonna unite the nation? How is he gonna give Joab some type of consequence? Well, he sends a message to Amasa, to Absalom's military leader, who also happens to be his nephew. And he says, come, join me, take over Joab's position as the leader of my army. Now, politically, this gives David a strong alliance with his old enemy base that can rally the nation to support him. Does that sound familiar? exactly what was happening with Abner. And it helps David get Joab out of power. And how does Joab respond? Does he say, oh, well, you know, as long as I can keep serving my king and country, I'm happy. I'll do whatever they ask me to. No, of course not. He goes behind David's back. He meets with Amasa. He go, leans in to give him a kiss. And when Amasa's not looking, he grabs a sword and stabs him in the stomach. He feels insecure And so he kills Amasa to protect his position with David. So what do we see from this? It's very possible for the appearances and what we see on the outside from someone to actually mask the reality of what's happening inside them, in their hearts. On the outside, Joab looks strong. He looks brave. He looks secure and heroic. But when you look on the inside, he is deeply insecure, and afraid. And so much of what he does, even if it looks strong and brave, it's driven by insecurity and weakness. And again, this is often true in our world too. And if we're going to navigate complicated relationships properly, we need to be able to recognize this in ourselves and the people around us, that often the behavior we see on the outside that looks strong, it's just an attempt to hide what's happening on the inside. Like maybe there's someone who's super kind, super friendly, super sociable, but it's all driven by a deep fear and insecurity about being alone. So all their kindness is not just a pure love for their neighbors. A lot of it comes from fear and insecurity that that leads them to try and use others as a means of avoiding having to be alone. If we're in that situation where we see someone doing this, how do we express appreciation for their kindness and their friendship, but also challenge them to grow and face their fears at the same time. It's complicated, right? Or maybe you're in an office and there's an analyst on the team who's a really hard worker. They provide really good insights for the company and they seem to be a great employee, but so much of their work is driven by this fear and insecurity about ever being wrong. If the hard work is driven by a fear and insecurity about being wrong, what's going to happen if they give a report and then realize afterwards they made a mistake? They're not going to be able to own up to it. They're not going to be able to admit that they were wrong. And so the company is going to be acting off information that they know is wrong, but they can't tell the company that it's wrong and it will hurt the company. So most of their work is really good work, but their insecurity means that you can't really trust them to be 100% honest with you. If you're their boss or their colleague and they typically do this great work, but then your, impact, your performance is impacted by their insecurity, that's complicated to deal with. Relationships are tricky and complicated. They're tricky and complicated because people's greatest strength also tends to be their greatest weakness. They're also tricky and complicated because the appearances don't always match the reality of what's happening under the surface. But they're also complicated because we often respond to them poorly. And we see this dynamic with David and Joab as well. A big part of the problem and the complication in their relationship, it's not just the fact that Joab will one day risk his life to protect David and, it, and help David, and then the next day go behind David's back and murder someone and undermine David's plans. It's also the fact that when he does this, David doesn't tend to resp- respond well to Joab. So when Joab kills Abner, Jewish law says he should get the death sentence for that. That's what the Jewish law says. David does not give Joab the death sentence. In fact, David gives Joab no consequences for what he's done. Now, when you see a threat and you solve that problem through murder and you face no consequences for it, the next time you see that threat, how are you gonna respond? murder worked last time. Why not try it again? That's exactly what Joab does. The fact that David doesn't give him any consequences to curb his violent behavior lets Joab keep on doing it without any consequences. So he keeps on killing people to get his way. And why doesn't David do anything? Well, because he's a brand new king. And as a king, you need someone strong to lead your military. And your number one choice for the option just got killed. Do you really wanna lose your top two options on the same day? No, that would put your brand new kingdom in a quite volatile position. So rather than give Joab the consequences he deserves and risk a void and emptiness in their military leadership, David completely ignores Joab's crime and lets him keep on leading the army. See, David's own fear and insecurity leads him to excuse Joab's insecurity and then it feeds off one another. It's not just that Joab is insecure and he, his insecurity causes problems in the relationships. It's that David's also insecure, so he responds poorly to Joab's insecurity and then that compounds the problems and it grows and it, and it gets more and more complicated. And yes, in this situation, David's the one in the position of authority. But in our lives today, we face this dynamic, whether we're in authority, whether we're under someone's authority, whether we're equals, we face it from any position in the relationship. But when we see someone else acting wrongly and out of insecurity, and we refuse to use our position to speak and say that what they've done is wrong, we're enabling them to keep on going. So maybe you're a student, and you see a teacher in your class and they're picking on a student, maybe calling them dumb. And you're like, this isn't right, but I'm not in authority. I can't tell them to stop. The fact that you're not in authority, that you don't have the power to force them to stop doesn't mean there's nothing you can do. Maybe you can raise your hand and say, excuse me, that, that doesn't seem like a, a nice way for a teacher to treat a student. Maybe you can find another teacher or the principal and share with them about what's happened and, and what you saw in the classroom that you think is not okay. But none of us want to actually do that, do we? If we're in that position and we see someone in authority doing something wrong, we don't want to speak up because it's complicated. You know, this person has authority over us. In the classroom, they control your grade. What if they just stop liking you because they don't like you standing up to them and they hurt your grade because you're trying to do the right thing? What if they come after us next? You know, we want... A peaceful school experience. We want our teachers on our good side. It's easier to just shut our mouths and not rock the boat. And so it's a very strong temptation to shut our mouths and say nothing, just like David. Our fear and insecurity leads us to do things that communicate that there's not really anything wrong with the behavior, and so it just keeps happening. No, we didn't start this bad behavior, but the silence that comes from our fear and insecurity lets it keep going can even let it get worse. So relationships, they're complicated because people act poorly, but they're complicated because we respond poorly as well. It was true for David and Joab, it's true for us, which brings us to our final point, complicated relationships and us. Because there's one more really, really important thing we need to recognize if we're gonna handle complicated relationships with skill and wisdom. And it's this, at some point, Each one of us has been on both sides of these complicated relationships. We've been the one who has acted selfishly or insecurely or out of fear and hurt someone else that we care about. We've also been the one who was hurt, but was too insecure to do anything to actually improve the relationship. And so instead we respond in ways that just let it keep happening. It was true for David and Joab. It's true for us. You know, with David and Joab, it's not just that David or that Joab does bad things and David responds poorly. Sometimes David does bad things and Joab responds poorly. So one time Joab, he's out for a battle and David sends him a letter saying, hey, there's this guy in your army, Uriah. I want you to stick him where the fighting is the fiercest, pull everyone else back and just let the enemy slaughter him. David's essentially asking Joab to be his hitman against this guy who's done nothing wrong. And rather than say like, I'm not gonna be an accomplice to murder, Joab says, okay, sure. And he kills the guy. And actually Joab realizes David's plan was sloppy. People are gonna realize something's going on. So he changes the plan and does a different plan that gets even more people killed in the process. Each of them act insecurely in ways that hurt the other one. Each of them responds poorly to the other one in those situations. And so what does that mean for us? Where does that leave us when it comes to our complicated relationships today? Are they just this inevitable and inescapable part of life and we're going to be stuck responding poorly forever? Or is it possible for us to grow and learn from these situations and improve and get better at our relationships? You know, on one level, complicated relationships, they're part of life in a broken world. We're never going to reach a point where we move beyond complications in our relationships as long as we're alive. And yet the message of the Bible is that for those who trust in Jesus, God is constantly at work in us to make us more like Jesus each day. And that's really good news because Jesus is the best example in history of how to respond to complicated relationships. Over and over, people come to him and do and say things that are rooted in fear and insecurity. And rather than responding with fear and insecurity, Jesus diffuses the situation by being completely rooted in God. So for example, one time, Jesus' disciples, they're arguing over which of them is the greatest. Imagine that you're a boss in an office and you walk into the room and you find all your employees, you have a 12-person office, and all of them are arguing they've stopped working, they're arguing with each other about who is the most valuable member of the team. How would you respond if you walked in on that situation? Would any of you be honest and be like, Janet brings in the most sales, it's her? Would anyone be like, hey, you know, we're a team. None of you can do your role properly without everyone else supporting you. So we're all important. We're all valuable. Would anyone get really sarcastic and be like, Well, when you stop working to have this discussion, none of you are valuable to the company. We might be tempted to do any of those things and yet Jesus doesn't do any of them. He grabs a little kid, pulls him over and sits him down next to him. And he says, I want you guys to receive little children like this guy. And whoever is least among you is the one who is the greatest. It's a shocking and unexpected response. It flips their expectations on its head. He's essentially saying the path to greatness is stop trying to be great. It's totally rooted in his identity with God. It's not driven by any fear or insecurity. It diffuses the situation rather than getting dragged in and making things worse or saying things that are going to make people upset. He is the best example in history of how to respond well to complicated situations in relationships. But here's the thing. If Jesus was just our example for how to do this well, it wouldn't help us. It would crush us. Because I look at the way Jesus responds to a situation like this, and I'm like, I Don't think I'm ever gonna get to a place, no matter how hard I try, of being able to respond with that much skill and wisdom in these situations. And if my identity is built on trying to reach his level, that's just gonna crush me. I'd be so stressed, I'd be so overwhelmed, I'd feel like so inadequate. But Jesus does something more to help us respond well in complicated relationships. See, he's not just our example, he's our savior. He offers us complete forgiveness for everything we've done wrong. He gives us a new relationship with God where we can know the God of the universe as our father and our friend. He promises promises us an eternity of blessing and safety if we have this relationship with God. And the different benefits that come from trusting in Jesus actually speak to the insecurities and fears in our hearts that keep us from acting properly in these complicated relationships. So for example, with Joab, why might it be important that he has this position of power or for you and me that we have positions of power in life? Well, if someone else is in power, they can tell me what to do. They might not have my best interest at heart. They might do things that harm me and keep me from the life that I want or need or deserve. So how does the message of the gospel, this, this good news, that the salvation that Jesus offers, how does that help us respond well when we're facing that situation where we, we hear these voices saying, I must be in power so I can get the life that I need? Well, it tells us no matter how high or low our earthly position, someone else is always in power. It's God. And God We know through Jesus, he is always working to bring our good through every situation that we face in life. Even the human authority figures that are put over us have been put there by good as part of the process for him to do good to us. So we don't need to be afraid about not having power because the one who has the ultimate power, he's using that power to do good for us. We don't need to fight to stay ahead. We don't need to take matters into our own hands. The fact that we're not in power doesn't need to make us insecure or afraid. We don't need to act out to grasp that power for ourselves. Or what about when we're hurt by others and we know that we need to do or say something to help the situation improve, but we're afraid of the consequences if we take action. How does the good news that Jesus is our savior help us there? Well, it tells us that God fights for those who follow him. So if we try to do what's right and we speak up, we might face consequences for a season. That's true. Things might go poorly for us because of it. But guess what? As Jesus followed God, things went poorly for him too. He got killed. But that wasn't the end of the story. God raised him from the dead because God fights for those who follow him. If God raised Jesus from death, then if we stand up for what's right, and things go poorly for us, we can trust God to bring good out of those tough situations too. We don't need to be frozen with fear anymore. See, knowing and trusting Jesus, knowing more deeply each day the salvation that he offers us, it doesn't free us from ever having to face complicated relationships. But it does transform us from the inside out so that when we face these complicated relationships, we can respond with skill. We can respond in a way that that seeks the good of everyone involved rather than a way that makes things worse. And yes, recognizing these patterns of complicated relationships, like the fact that our greatest strength is often our greatest weakness, that appearances often don't match reality, that poor responses make bad situations worse, those all help in that process. But the greatest power comes from living each day in a relationship with Jesus that transforms us from the inside out so we can become people who act with love towards others because we know we've been loved by God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you show us how to handle complicated relationships well, but also that you empower us to respond well in them. I pray that you would help us to be people this week who respond well in the tough realities of tough relationships, and that we would honor you in the way that we approach them. In Jesus' name, amen.